Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Sunday the 2nd of March 2003 and once again Gerard Houllier's Liverpool were back at Cardiff's Millennium Stadium this time against the bitterest of rivals Alex Ferguson's Manchester United Due to bad weather conditions the game would be played with the stadium roof closed the first time in English football that a final was played indoors The sealed environment only added to the intense atmosphere as a Steven Gerrard thunderbolt deflected off David Beckham and into the top corner. A man-of-the-match performance from Jersey Dudek kept the United barrage at bay until the 86th minute when Michael Owen streaked onto Deep Mahaman's through ball to slot past Fabian Barthez and put the game to bed. Flanked by Jamie Carragher, captain Sammy Hippier lifted Liverpool's 7th League Cup trophy aloft. Right, Chris, take us back. Summer 2002, Liverpool okay. had finished second in the Premier League. Yeah. Um, it was a big summer uh, of transfer business and it's one that kind of goes down in infamy, really. Infamy, definitely. What I remember, really, at the end of 2002, we had a really good end to that season. Um, there was kind of... an Elkin had come in on loan. There'd been the kind of whole thing, hadn't about Robbie going. Was it a good decision? And then Anelka comes in and everyone's immediately moving on. And Anelka, I think everyone really took to Anelka. And then, for whatever reason, well, the reasons were, I think there was a feeling that Anelka was whilst pledging himself to Liverpool, negotiating with other clubs. The truth of that, we'll, you know, we'll never know probably. I think Anelka's version of the story is very different. And he, 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 I think he, he, he only says he would have signed for Liverpool. But anyway, I think the suspicion is Liverpool had... had the El Hadj Juff deal, should we say? Uh, so it's already lined up through the former assistant manager Patrice Berg, who was the Lawns manager at the time. It was Lawns, was it? Or was it Leo Lawns? We're on the friend, I think it was Lawns. And um, and uh, so they pressed ahead with Juff, and then when the World Cup started, everyone was made up, weren't they? Because it was like you know, Senegal was superb in that Japan. I was actually in Japan for that World Cup. Getting the phone call, I think. I'm not sure the timeline exactly, whether or not we Liverpool knew he was already joining, or it'd been announced he was joining before that game, whether it was hurriedly revealed after they beat France in the opening game. And Salif Joff was going to be the midfield enforcer as well, you know, kind of Vieira-esque, you know, centre you know, midfielder. And the plan was, this is going to be the... Today we use the phrase, final missing pieces of the jigsaw that's going to take Liverpool from second in 2002, to that final step. And um, there, was, there was just a hell of a lot of optimism around. You know, there'd, there'd been just that upward trajectory all the way through from when Gerard took over, you know, 98, difficult start. Uh, the, the 2001 treble was obviously the real moment in terms of validation for Gerard Houllier and his methods. Then, of course, we have the what you know, the most tragic moments when he almost you know loses his life, and I think we can now look back in retrospect as to what effect that had on him. And he, you know, it's, he very honest, you know, he spoke about that himself. But I, I think when there's, in the summer of two thousand and two and two thousand, moving into two thousand three, that kind of sense of awareness of what was going on with him hasn't really come out in the public yet. As if people, people maybe behind the scenes are getting a little bit concerned. Maybe not so concerned at, in 2002, but starting to wouldn't about certain decisions that are getting going to be taken. 
and that's the kind of period we are in Liverpool history, really, where it, it feels in the summer of 2002, Liverpool are about to make that next step. But unfortunately, perhaps the train is already in motion and it's going to go on a different path. What, was, what do you think Liverpool's sort of mission statement would have been as far as transfers that summer? Obviously, they want to make that final step, but... Lippmann leaves on a free, never really kind of reached the peaks that people sort of hope Barnby moves on yeah. as well. And in, in the place you get uh, Duff, Diao, Shearu are the, are the big ones coming in. I think there was always a sense that Liverpool were a team that were tough to beat. You know, a kind of the ongoing criticism of Jared Uliet's team, and it will always persist really, is that they were more functional than flamboyant. And, you know, Arsenal were obviously the team everybody wanted to look like at that time. You know, United as well, but, you know, yeah, Arsenal had that kind of... Because there was such an obvious comparison with Arsene Wenger and he and Gerard were such good friends. And it did rankle with Gerard. I know it did, you know, that he, he, he felt, you know, he wasn't getting enough credit for grinding out victories and just getting the winning machine going because it was always wanting... There's just a feeling you want a bit more. The Liverpool way, so to speak, is a little bit more of a... But you know, we can say, talk about it now. It's what we see every week with the Jurgen Klopp side, yeah. and people were wanting that 20 years ago as well. And uh, so, I think that these players, Shiru was, you know, you know, we, 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 we could take the mick, can't we? We know how Shiru was described, he was compared to like a, a kind of Zidane type midfielder, wasn't he? Juff was going to add that kind of well, he was actually he was a, uh, Juff was signed as a striker. He ended up becoming a winger because he couldn't play up front for in the Premier League. But at the time, he, he was it was him or an Elke, and um, so he was signed to number nine. He was given the number nine shirt, and it was just going to be that sense that he was going to have still that steel, but a little bit more, you know, silk as well. And, and that was going to be the difference to, you know, get those extra extra ten points. I think they probably they got six or seven more points in two thousand and two or something. They probably would have been even closer. So. Um, did you really look stopping for another ten points on top of the two thousand and two, and to, to think we might get get that title? You know, you mentioned it before. Where was where was Julia at physically and mentally in the in the build up to this season? Well, he wasn't right. I mean, there's no there's no question about it. It's difficult to sort of say that at the time. You're in the bubble of you know competitive high elite, you know Premier League, and a lot of people had said. I think quite openly, it was too soon for him to come back, and he he was determined he was going to come back. I think he spoke out against people who dared suggest he shouldn't come back. And from my perspective, I was obviously coming to cover Liverpool Echo. It was just business as usual, making judgments based on what you see and on the pitch, and what you you know still in the privilege at that time going to the train ground every morning. And um, I can look back in twenty years on and think, God, you know, how could you have not? took a step aside and just, this, you know, if the reporting had taken a different tone and about, you know, we really should cut this fella a bit more time and space here, he's clearly not right. I don't think that would have washed with people anyway, you know, and he wouldn't have liked it. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, he was a, it's a big job he had and he, he wanted to keep it and he, 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 you know, he was determined to do it. And he was very brave, you know, was incredibly brave actually when you look back um, of him to do that. Um, but you know, he. I think he, he said it more than anybody really that he, he started to. His, I think up until then, his judgment had been pretty flawless on some major calls. I mean, even subsequent to the, to the you know that game against Leeds, it was that he sold Robbie. I mean, I think Robbie was already probably going to be sold, but then to bring an Elker in was it looked like a masterstroke. But it just perhaps. You know, just some of the cricket critical faculties just deserted them just when he needed to make that extra step. Yeah. I mean, the season starts really well for Liverpool. They kind of pick up where they, they left off. And you kind of mentioned Alaji Diouf. He's, he's pilloried now and mm. beyond pilloried. He's yeah, actually yeah, said he's yeah. probably one of the few players that are borderline hated actually by Liverpool's fan base having, having moved yeah. on um, there's not there's no redemption arc for him there but he he starts really well he scores two goals in his home debut at Southampton and it did look off the back of the World Cup like Liverpool actually had bought a, a really yeah. good player I think a lot of the problem with Geoff more cultural in terms of how he fitted into the club and the ethos of the club and the dressing room at the time it was a very solid dressing room you know um, you had that kind of real spine to it, and the lads who'd come in from overseas, that Didi and Stefan Anshow, Sammy, 
it, it wasn't it didn't ever felt there was a, any kind of cliqueiness, you know, with the younger lads like you had Stevie Carter, Michael Owen, Danny Murphy, you know, and it all kind of really wet was well well together. Obviously, Gary McLeaven would have been around. Would he have quit in two thousand and two? Yeah. That would have been a major loss to the dressing room. His kind of just wisdom and influence and experience as well. Because Stevie, I think, had a difficult two thousand two two thousand three. As I recall, I mean, you know, again, my memories blur. But I think, I think it may have been in the aftermath of the ball game that Gerard made a few critical comments about Stevie, which he documented as well later. Things were just sort of a little bit not quite the same cut, and then this guy comes in full of bling, you know. Um, you know, it's, I think the lads sort of said. I think it sort of exploded with some of the autobiographies that come out in the way players made their feelings of what they thought of him known, and he's retaliated. And but yeah, I think as a player, he's not as bad a player as people. Kind of remember Liverpool have had far worse. You know, when I see lists and say we're signed to Liverpool, it's large job. I think no, you're having a laugh. He was he was a good player. He just wasn't Liverpool standard player. You know, he had a really good career. I mean, I think he was excellent for Bolton. You know, they got Bolton in the Champions League. You can't say he was a bad player. He just wasn't the. He certainly was no um, no one Elka. He was no Nicholas and Elka, and he was no number nine for Liverpool. And of course, from our vantage point in twenty twenty two, and you know what a real Liverpool number nine is, it, it looks even worse for Jeff, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. The um, the go unbeaten in the first twelve league games yeah. of the season, um, but then November, it just it just looks like almost overnight the well, wheels come off. This is one of the bad decisions that I think there was a game at Middlesbrough and I know for a fact that the priority that day was to, to not lose Jeremy it is a hit set oh, what a goal Borough ahead at Anfield well Borough have not scored away from home since the 28th of September they've only scored four away from home all season that is an absolute peach that is an absolute wonder goal I tell you what Dudek I mean uh, Never in the month of Sundays did he expect that Jeremy could put it in that little corner. Absolute wonderful strike. There was some kind of record at stake, whether it was Premier League era, if Liverpool could go unbeaten for so long. And he played Danny Murphy in a kind of, I don't know, like a false nine even. Or whether he was up front on his own or he played in it as a number, kind of number 10. I don't know the exact team, but it was a very strange team. It was like... What's he doing here? And it was it backfired, and then, and it seemed to be the trigger for this terrible run, which they did the, from thinking they were title contenders. I think by the time the League Cup had come final had come around, they were way out of it. I mean, there was no, there was they were, they were out of Champions League. It ended very prematurely, and uh, and the title chance had gone. It was all coming to top four, as I recall. Yeah, well, they, they lose to Middlesbrough, as you mentioned, on the 8th of November. They then didn't win a league game until the 18th of January, which was a, an 11-game stretch. Mm. And you mentioned the Champions League. In that as well, they, they crash out of the Champions League and fall into the UEFA Cup, yeah. having drawn to Basel in the last game of the group. But one little interesting side note in this is, obviously, they come up against Rafa Benitez's yeah, Valencia. Yeah, I remember uh, both games. Who yeah. put on a, a, a footballing display in those games. Curatoris, Albelda, Aymar, on by Baraka, terrific move, wonderful goal, Pablo Aymar, it has been coming. Here is Peru, into the path of Baraka, 2-0, Ruben Baraka doubles Valencia's lead. Yeah, I remember both games, the absolutely battered Liverpool and it was another moment where you saw a little glimpse of the future now the game was was perhaps changing and Liverpool were not Liverpool were static you know Liverpool's attempt to sort of change and evolve a little bit had backfired and even what they were good at previously now which was that solidity and the ability to get a one you know a nil nil in the new camp and stuff that had gone as well and it, it, it and I do vividly recall those Valencia games because you kind of thought this is the football Liverpool should be playing you know they had Pablo Amar and um, a fella called Mister up front and um, and yeah and everyone was I do remember it's, it's easy to say this now but everyone who's this manager who's this Valencia manager you know you know and Valencia was sort of taking on Real Madrid and Barcelona and the two coaches who were emerging and everyone was talking about was, was Benitez and Mourinho at Porto, because what was going on at Porto as well. And um, 
it was kind of then a case of... I think it would be premature to say by 2003 people were starting to wonder whether or not Gerard was going to get sacked because I think there was always going to be... That was never going to happen after one dodgy season, if you like. But certainly 12 months later, it was pretty obvious by March that Benitez was on Liverpool's um, radar. I mean, I'm not sure whether it was David Moores or Rick Parry who were leading that, by the way. <laughs> there was intermediaries who were waiting on Liverpool's behalf who were very much in the ear of the Liverpool board and saying, you've got to keep your eye on what's going on in Spain, definitely. Would that have been an eye-opener for the board, though, those those Oh, definitely, games? yeah, definitely. Definitely. But they were very, you know, supportive board, weren't they? I mean, David Moores was never, ever going to want to sack a manager unless he had absolutely no choice. Especially not Gerard after what he'd gone through. So I, I don't have any recollection at all during that run of there being a feeling of the manager being under pressure for his position. Um, that came that came 12 months later, really. Um, so, uh, but, the, you know, the, there would have been a few alarm bells with the, how poor the, the new signings had been. And it just it seems to be a constant trying to reassure everybody, you know, these players will come good, they need time. Always quoting players. It was always about Robert Perez needed time. That seems to be a constant story, didn't it? You know, how long it took Perez to settle and players didn't settle. And you kind of think, you know, it didn't take them that long, actually, you know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was. It, I, th I think it was obvious those three players were a write-off, really, six months in. I mean, I, I think everyone had given up on them. Certainly the players in the dressing room had given up on some of them knew after a few training sessions, to be honest. Well, it's interesting because you kind of, I guess it's kind of alluded to, but Jamie Carragher was very, has been very outspoken, more so yeah. in, in, in recent years, I guess, with a bit of, bit of time and distance. But it strikes me, as, as you mentioned there, he's one of the players who just wasn't wasn't won over no. by. You could, yeah. you could play, you could, I mean, you know, it's like anybody when you're playing, whether you're playing with your mates or whether you're playing, obviously, there, it's a completely different level. You can see who's good. It's only gonna have a bad training session. They could have maybe a few bad training sessions, but after a couple of weeks, you know who's, cla who's class, don't you? It's pretty obvious who's class, and you don't see players really go from not being very good to or being average to being world world beaters in a couple of weeks. And Liverpool were looking at those prices at that time. Do you expect it to be world beaters who were going to make the difference? And it was, it was disappointing, really. Yeah. The, uh, what were what were Liverpool's what was seen anyways Liverpool's main issues during this time because I guess the the the, the inquests would have been getting bigger and bigger as the weeks progressed and the wins just weren't coming. I think it was to do with the inability to to make that transition from a side that played a very pragmatic style of defensive side of counter attacking football, grinding results out a lot of the time, to one which. Front more front footed. Um, it, you know, Liverpool were, uh, they were a powerful, strong unit when they were at the best. Um, but they did allow the other team to have a lot of the ball. Gerard made no bones about that, you know. Um, and, you know, there was always talk about the full backs. I mean, Carra would have been playing full back around that in that era. And he was always getting stick for not being Ashley Cole or whoever. It was the, the flavour of the month, you know. Um, you know, we had the midfield was the you know the Stevie was still sometimes playing centre mid, sometimes playing wide. He obviously wanted to be the centre midfielder, but when he did play there, there were there were issues which I don't think really ever got solved until Rafa took over about how do you let him run riot and have the freedom and still have the protection. So as he moves into centre midfield, there's probably less protection for the back four, and you know. Marcus Babel had been a pivotal figure and he had problems and I think this may have been his last season at Liverpool. He didn't play at all. I think he may have played one game and got taken off because he was just so off it. Um, John Arnorisa would have come in and he was a, he was the kind of attack and fullback everyone was looking for, but he wasn't as strong defensively. So it kind of was just getting the the, the balance probably. If, any, if, if My recollection of it is that the balance has gone. Uh, not quite sure what they want to be anymore. Uh, it's, it's probably become a bit more confused, and um, and some of the creative sparks, such as Lippmann, who was only playing cameos, but he was still adding that little extra bit of class. And Gary Mack, who was just able to be a set piece, you know, king and creative, but also was a tough, you know, 
tough midfielder as well as his midfielder as well. He, he, he was like, you know, if Liverpool had only signed Gary McAllister when he was 25, you know. Um, and that's probably what they were, you know, you have to look back now, maybe that, that was underestimated a lot more. I suppose you know. there's a thing there where you, the players you mentioned in there is two guys in the 30s yeah. and, they're being brought, and the players who are being brought in are, yes, they're younger and you imagine fresher and, and, and you know, and that's mm. obviously a, a thing, but there's a lot of experience that's lost from that. Yeah, from that habits, good habits, good, as they use that phrase, now it's a bit of a cliche now and then good culture, which is good dressing from something when I was saying about the culture. It's like, you know, you've got somebody... You're going from Babel to Lit and Littman and, and, and McAllister, who, you know, Bayern Munich, Barcelona, Gary Mack, you know, to two guys who are still young lads as well, Joff and Jow, you know, and a hell of a lot of pressure on them. They didn't really know what probably hit them, I wouldn't have thought. Um, it was too much of a burden for them to carry and they just didn't have, have the equipment they needed to do. It's a, um, it's a tough time for Michael Owen, actually, in this period as yeah, well, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I do remember. I think it was Baal, he missed a few chances. Um, I think he was getting a bit of stick, um, but I think he still would have only been 22, 23, but it, it, the injuries probably had taken a yard off him already. Uh, so, and again, he was he was expected to sort of deliver every single game, and Heskey was in a very inconsistent spell. I think patience was wearing thin a little bit with Heskey again, because he was seen as a little bit more of the batter and ram you know, people wanted Lippmann to succeed and because they had a vision of Liverpool with Lippmann and, you know, the 10, you know, behind an Owen. And Heskey was kind of what Liverpool needed to, to make the little step up, but was not going to, in many supporters' minds, be the one who's going to get them the title. So you got Barros floating around on the periphery. Barros had just come through. He was like, he looked an exciting prospect at the time as well. Yeah, he... he in a couple of games, he was just sensational. But he was always a bit missed out. That was the trouble, wasn't it, with Barros? He was erratic. He he could be great one. You know, the the sign of greatness really is you're going to deliver eight out of ten games, or is it going to be two out of eight games? You know, and it, Barros was unfortunately more two and eight, wasn't he? And yeah. um yeah, so there, there was it was it was it was a kind of a transitional period, if you like, at a time when people thought the transition was over. Yeah. Liverpool, the League Cup story is a five-part premium podcast series. If you wish to stream the entire series, it is available right now exclusively on Redmen Plus. Head to the RedmenTV.com and sign up for all of those episodes in video or in podcast form in your native podcast player. In episode one, Tony Evans, author and former sports writer for The Times, discusses Liverpool's first four League Cup wins from 81 to 1984. In episode two, former Express and current journalist John Keith discusses the Steve McManaman final in 1999. In episode three, it is the Worthington Cup final, 2001, first part of a famous treble with Tony Evans. Episode four is the 2003 win over Manchester United with the Telegraph's Chris Bascom. And finally, episode five, the 2012 League Cup final win over Cardiff City with the Athletic and formerly of the Liverpool Echo, James Pearce. Check out that full series streaming right now on Redmen Plus. Head to the redmentv.com to gain full access right now. The, the League Cup becomes a bit of a, you know, a sort of, I don't know, a lifeline for Liverpool's season in some regards when they get into January and things haven't really sort of collapsed in the Premier League. They've got Sheffield United to like semi-final and even that threatens to to come undone. Yeah, Uh, that was Neil Warnock on it though. Yeah. Um, It was a hostile, that first game, that first leg, it was pretty hostile. Murphy to take. Jow in there too, but some big men Liverpool. And one of those big men is there, hooky it, they score! Miller puts the ball in, and Liverpool lead at Bramall Lane. Free kick for Sheffield United, edge of the area is Allison. it might get dropped to Tom here, and Tom's in with a chance for Sheffield United, and scores! Through the legs of the keeper, Sheffield United are level in the semi-final. And Murphy was up there, and uh, Tom again, he can't go do it again, can he? He can, you know, he can, it's his night. It's Michael Tom that it's 2 1 Sheffield United. This semi final has been turned on its head. They were there to kick the shit out of Liverpool that night, you know, and they had some tough players. I think Michael Brown may have played for them, and he was, you know, he left his foot in. 
and that it was a proper atmosphere there and it was tough and I think I think to get out of it it was 2-1 was it? Mm-hmm. I think I think 2-1 in the end was a good result because I don't think Liverpool played particularly well um, and yeah there were all kinds of shenanigans I can go on yeah, Warnock was at his most Warnock and the best thing about it was the sense of got to go back to Anfield now but it was they, they had a decent um, you know they were in that image of a, of a kind of what Allardyce's teams would become and those kind of, Liverpool have always tended to struggle against those kind of sides anyway the best of times but it was uh, yeah I, I think they were um, they had some decent players um, Sheffield I don't know whether Jaggy Elka would have been part of it um, it's possible because they've got before his time well it's it's Melody opens the score and then it, Michael Tong is one of them who's very much a name of, of that he era. was getting linked with Liverpool every weekend I don't know I don't remember the interest being actually real on I certainly don't remember reporting Liverpool were interested in him but I remember seeing it a lot I think he was he was all right. he's just one of those guys who sort of had a good six seven months didn't he and nobody I don't know what became of him really but um, but it was a tough game that night I remember and the second leg was a it was it set it up for a proper you know war in the second leg I think the crowd were right up for it. United's brave Worthington Cup adventure was ended at Anfield as the cliff-hanging semi-final went into extra time. Michael Owen's shot was parried by Kenny. Hesky found Duf to crack in Liverpool's opener. Then the game's controversial moment. Chris Kirkland lucky to stay on the field after handling the ball outside of the box. Tommy Mooney's free kick was hit well enough, but the Liverpool wall did its job. Then Gerrard's pass found Michael Owen, an international clash from the striker, secured Liverpool's place in Cardiff. Owen scoring the, the win, in fact, Duf scores the first goal, goes to extra time on on aggregate, and then Owen scores the winner. And Stefan Enshaw went for Warnock. Stefan Enshaw, the most mild-mannered, nicest bloke, never got into it. I don't know if you've ever got him, see him getting booked even when he handles the ball. You don't. The people didn't see it, you know. Yeah. And... Um, he went for Warnock at the end. He just like really screamed at him, like you know, it was because I think they'd been really riled by this kind of old school alehouse kind of <laughs> approach of Sheffield United and uh, the cultured Stefan had had enough. <laughs> <laughs> what was the um, what was what was the feeling there? Is that I mean, I guess initially this is jubilation, winning a football match under the kind of uh, that kind of environment and what have you. How was it sort of perceived at the time? Was it, I don't know, an example of Liverpool changing their fortunes or maybe paper over the cracks? I can only speak in my own memory of it that it was pretty overlooked. I think it's overlooked now and I think it was pretty overlooked then. I think it was almost people had forgotten how difficult it is to win a trophy, any trophy. The treble had just happened. There was just a huge, much more expense sense of expectation. It, I mean, it is that it is a cliche, but it is a classic case of a side, you know, making a rough for its own bat in a way because they've heightened expectations upon themselves now. You okay? Great that you won that travel. Now go on, you're going to do something more now. Oh, it's another League Cup. No, that's not what we want. So there wasn't that sense of excitement as there had been two years earlier when they got to the League Cup final, when it was this is the first, this is the first step Liverpool needs. You've got to get that first trophy under your belt, and it's going to set up everybody off. It, it was a bit whole hum, unfortunately, by two thousand and three. But having said that, a Wembley final against Man United, you're never going to, um, never going to be without a certain level of, you know, excitement, and uh, uh, you know everyone going there to win. And I think. I think it, it, it parks all the difficulties of the league campaign and, and what may be ahead. Uh, but no, I, I do I do have a sort of feeling that a little bit taken for granted, perhaps. Yeah. You know, that it, it, it's difficult to get to a Wembley final and Liverpool have been there not very frequently in the League Cup since. But at that time, Twice in three years, oh, well, that's just what, you know, okay, but we still want you to win the title. I don't think this is going to get you anything, you know, that kind of thing. Well, it's it's Manchester United who themselves had a little, a couple of issues getting through. They they managed to beat Blackburn to book their place. Just contextually, Manchester United at this time, can you speak to just how what their dominance and, and quality were? Well, yeah, but I think Liverpool finished above them the previous year, but that was what United, United sort of just had that, capacity to just be good competing every year which is what Liverpool was striving for it wasn't just like one title bid and then disappear for four years 
which unfortunately Liverpool were in that era of averaging one title bid every decade. It felt, you know, and um, so they were very familiar. That was this, this is the rude Van Nistelrooy, Man United, isn't it? It's so dangerous, and you know, every area they could, the totally different style to Liverpool, which. I think Liverpool supporters at that time turned a blind eye to a little bit. Didn't want to acknowledge they were playing the football that you wanted to see at Anfield. You know, Ferguson was the risk taker. Ferguson was the one who was always going to try and score three and not care if you scored two. Well, maybe not care, but he was always going to he was always going to be a gambler and end up with four or five strikers on the pitch if needs be. Whereas Liverpool, if they were going to win, it was going to be. Solid defence, counter-attack, hit them on the break, protect what you've got and cause them the tactical problems. And uh, and that is exactly how that game, in my memory, turned out. It was Liverpool back to the Liverpool 2001. Um, back to basics, if you like. Uh, relying on Owen on the break and, um, you know, the pace uh, of, of, you know, Stevie bursting through and stuff like that. And... I think I think I think it was one of those games, the final, where everything went exactly to the tactical strategy beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. So just in the build-up to this game, you know, the final itself, I mean, out of interest, obviously, to return to Cardiff, which Liverpool had great memories from the the treble season. It's actually the first game to be played under the roof at Cardiff as well, like. Just a very unusual sort of atmosphere for a football match to take yeah, place. Yeah, I think that would have helped Liverpool in that as well. You know, the fact they'd been there a few times, loved it, fans loved it. Atmosphere was, was superb in that Millennium Stadium. You know. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Scousers every, you know, and United fans won't agree with this, but, you know, there's just kind of, Liverpool fans are louder, you know. Um, and... Yeah, I think the, the good memories of that, and not, you know, when you've been when you've been so 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 recently. I mean, I don't know what Liverpool's ultimately, what Liverpool's overall record in Cardiff was, but it feels as though it was a lot. They won a lot more than they lost. I mean, I, it's, I include they played Charity Shield matches there as well and won. Uh, so that would have felt a good value. I think there probably would have been a real sense of freedom for the players going there. They'd have to speak about that more, but. I, um, you know, when you go somewhere you've got good memories, it always helps, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And the, I mean, Man United come into this game, they've just beaten Juventus 3-0 in the Champions League. And there's a, there is a bit of a, this, the, as to your point, not necessarily having won the league or whatever in the previous season, but they carry a fear factor with yeah. them, with the perception of being very much Liverpool as underdogs in this game. Definitely, definitely except there would have been the Liverpool-Man United factor. It's, it is a, a derby, you know, so there wouldn't have been any anticipation from United's end that this is going to be, oh, they, they're gone, they're on the way down. I think they would have realised it was going to be exactly as it was. And, of course, don't forget, I think this may have been in the midst of this prolonged, unbeaten run Liverpool had against United. May, maybe they'd just... 
ended that. I don't know, but there was a there was definitely a period where Liverpool makes me eight or something games unbeaten against Man United. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because the game that had preceded the last time they played was in December, and it's the the now infamous Diego Forlan. Okay, so Jersey Dude, right? Carrier. a tight game it's been broken open in extraordinary circumstances oh it's through it's Forlan again it is Forlan again his first away goals for Manchester United there are two of them now that's something that kind of feeds into this and do that yeah. in particular because Obviously, that's a, it's a, it's a, a catastrophic sort of yeah, moment is, yeah. for Dudak it in is, that yeah. game. What was the sort of perception around the the goalkeeper around this time? Well, up until two thousand two, Dudek was, you know, I don't think he did. I can't remember any many mistakes. He came back from the World Cup, and there was a feeling that he was fatigued. Wasn't he mentally fatigued after the World Cup? He suddenly started making these strange mistakes, and that was the most noticeable that game. Um, I think people just kind of thought he was having a bit of a blip, but there was nothing too much to worry about with him. And he just, you know, it wasn't any dissimilar to how it is now, the whole debate about players and having time off. And um, but I can remember when Didi, when Jersey came in, he just seemed to be such a calm goalkeeper. And he was much of a, you know, he was a massive upgrade on on Sander Westerveld. Um but he had started to make these these errors, so I don't, I don't, I can't imagine there would have. I'm sure there would have been focus on the fact he was facing the United again, but I'm not sure there would have been as much concern. I don't think anyone was thinking, oh, Liverpool got a bad goalkeeper. He's a weak link. Nobody ever thought that about him. Even when he got replaced, he was. You know, this is a guy who left Liverpool and joined Real Madrid. Let's not forget. So. He, he, he wasn't. He wasn't bad, was he? <laughs> <laughs> the um, there's some really interesting quotes from a couple of the players in the build-up to this. Um, Vladimir Smitsch says, uh, "I hope that this reignites our season. Our season is not good. We know, but there's still plenty to play for. We have not said this is a bad season. Let's forget about it and concentrate on the next one. We've been criticised, and we are intent on responding on the pitch." And Danny Murphy said, "Winning in Cardiff would be massive for us." Uh, we have to be honest, we haven't been as good as Manchester United over the last 10 years and winning would bring European football next season, which isn't guaranteed at the moment. That's actually, I think that's a really interesting one as well, contextually, because this is, of course, a period where winning a League Cup was, you know, just being able to tick tick the European box, you know, and having yeah. European football guaranteed was an added pressure. De- definitely that would have been it, because uh, I'm sure, I don't know whether it was top three or top four on the Champions League that season, but it must have been... A huge concern already having started the season at the top that already Chelsea would have been either above or close to Liverpool and uh, Leeds were obviously in the in the hunt around then as well Arsenal United so yeah I think just to be in Europe at all would have been massively significant it just takes a little bit of the pressure off um, and uh, yeah it just feeds into the whole thing you know obviously those quotes obviously show the, show the sense of Disappointment that's already around the club by this stage of the season that the title bids have faltered completely and they're already thinking of next year how they're going to compete for the title. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I hesitate to say the word, but I do have a personal memory of being the Echo were banned. <laughs> the Echo were banned. <laughs> Liverpool had drawn 2 2 with Arsenal. It was a famous game where Thierry Henry runs past Cara and it. Uh, that was a that was a, I think that was the, the final straw. I think they felt that the our coverage was too critical, and we, we were allowed back in the day before the, the final. But I think that just again shows, you know, in the bubble of of what was going on at the time. You know, I mean, it was, I don't know what, whether it was justified. I can't imagine it was justified. The band, but you know, equally, you know, when people are under pressure, the then you think you do, you know, you're on their side. Uh, I mean, I always think it's just ironic. I always, I only mention that because, you know, I, you do read lots. Of, oh, yeah, that, that people are always accusing the Echo just writing whatever Jedi do they wanted and stuff, you know. But to be honest, you didn't know what I thought was going on, you know. <laughs> um, but I think we all, we're all happy and back in 
to the fold on the Friday and even more so on the following Monday, probably taking photographs and doing interviews after they had to do a parade in the cup. Well, I was going to kiss the maid up. Yeah, know? well, I was going to say is that so that yeah. adds to me just in terms of personal feelings and what have you on the day. What's that? You know, have you any particular personal memories or whatever of, of going to the game? I think it's just, you know, at the Liverpool correspondent, the Liverpool Echo, I don't know what Liverpool supporters buying the Echo at the time expected or, or what anyone who wasn't Liverpool, what Evertonians expected, but it was pretty much the same for Liverpool and Everton right here. It was pretty obvious who you were behind, but you were still trying to do it in an impartial way. But in terms of you wanted them to win, obviously. <laughs> you, it makes your job a hell of a lot easier when the team's successful. It really does, you know. Um, and um, I think I probably was just... I, I, it, it sounds like it's just funny thing. Like there's so many... It, it's such a privilege because you can remember so many finals now. And di different reactions. You know, some of them stand out more than any, than any. I can't actually remember how I felt after the 2003 final because I can remember how I felt after the, the treble... I can remember in Istanbul, and I can remember in Kia. Um, not, well, I can remember in Kia when they lost, but I can remember um, in Madrid. But the two thousand three, it probably shows you where it is in the in the for a lot of supporters that whether it was relief or whether it was kind of ho hum or whether it was oh brilliant, this is going to mean we're not banned anymore. Or, I, I can't really remember, and I think that may be where, why where this final fits it. Whereas for another club, two thousand, just you know, they, they might just have to commemorate that every year. Liverpool have so many commemorations and anniversaries, don't they? And, you know, some of them are clearly eclipse this one. Well, know? it's funny, isn't it? Because I think to the, to the point there, you know, Liverpool against their biggest rivals in a final, they win. Yeah. And there's no, like, when you can, we were chatting beforehand, you know, look at the, the Alaves UEFA Cup finals, an absolute nightmare of an experience to kind of mm. get through it and get through mm. it ultimately. The Arsenal FA Cup final, hard work, Cardiff in, in, in the League Cup final, you know, made much harder work than it should have been. United have a, you know, Jersey Dudek wins man of the match, which gives you a, a decent indication of the sort of ebb and flow of the match to some extent. But it's, it, is, that, is it just odd that this isn't sort of held up in more, in higher esteem because of who, who it was? It, it is, it is odd, but I suspect it's just more to do with what immediately came before and what immediately comes after. So, it's a bit, it's not, I think there's been a lot of positive retrospective feelings about the 2001 treble, which for a long time got overlooked because of what happened in Istanbul. And I think, you know, a lot of the lads, you know, chief amongst them is basically said to be, we should celebrate that season far more than is. And I think that is celebrated much more, it feels, in the last four or five years than it had been the previous 10 or 15. And maybe it's the same with this. It's 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 difficult for people to sort of look at it as fondly because 2001 meant so much more to them. And there's always that noise in the back of your head that it's the beginning of the end or in the middle of the, the beginning of the end of the Julier era and Rafa takes over. I think if Rafa had beaten Chelsea in 2005, that would probably be held in greater esteem than this, even in 2003 just because it felt as though this is the start of something. Yeah. Whereas this is coming really... At the end of something, isn't it? And and I think it's probably just purely to do with that. But I'm sure for the lads who who were playing, it, it for me it feels just as as good as it. Is it Man United? They've only how many times Liverpool beat Man United in the major domestic final? I mean, there's the '83 one as well, isn't there? So um, it's definitely not something to be and a, and a great Man United team as well. You know, not the Man United of the last few years. One of the you know a team that's going to go on to win the European Cup again, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The um, Just on the game itself, Steven Gerrard scores a, a, a deflected screamer to kick yeah. things off. Gerrard going for it, deflected! In! Liverpool get the lead, it's a power driver from Gerrard. It was helped by the deflection. But what a big moment that is! Well, I thought Rissa was going to cross it. He decided not to. And as David Beckham goes to close down, Steven Gerrard, I thought the air was coming in, Rob. He didn't take that. But David Beckham goes to close it down. That's what takes it past Partez. Not a doubt about that. He strikes it well enough. But that's unsavable. I, I can't help but imagine the, the, the let-off from that one was significant. Definitely, yeah. Because I do. I think that was an interesting season for Steven. I don't, I don't know whether or not. Was he, cap was he captain yet? Yeah. I don't. I can't remember. No, I he's he's so. about to become captain. 
I think it's hippie lifts. It okay, lifts you, it. yeah. So you, so so it's that period where, as I say, he's, he's now being looked upon to become from the young lad, the prodigy, to becoming the leader, and he's not quite there yet. And it's difficult. I think there's a little bit of a difficult relationship between him and the manager at that moment, that time, just for a brief period, which mends itself very quickly. Um, but. Yeah, I do think it was an interesting... And, of course, what happens at the end of that season, I'm pretty sure, is the Abramovich takeover. And I don't think much is ever said or made that the first real move for him is then. It's not 2004, and then everyone remembers more 2005. They had the first move when Ranieri was still. And that's when he... You know, I don't think he was ever really ready to leave that soon. So Liverpool get one more. But Liverpool lose to Chelsea that last game of the season. And... Who knows if they had if they, if they had beaten Chelsea, would Abramovich have gone ahead with the uh, you know Phil Thompson said in his book I think that they were going to sign John Terry, they were going to sign John Terry if that takeover and that. So there's all kinds of madness going on with sliding doors, you know what what going to be. But Steve, he's like, he, he is about to emerge as you know in my opinion the greatest Liverpool player ever, but he has to go through this kind of little slight drop. I don't know. Whether, I don't really recall his levels being ever anything other than magnificent. But he was certainly getting a little bit of attention in terms of getting substituted earlier and a few comments from the manager at the time. And I think he's spoken about that as well quite a lot. So. Yeah. And the, the the game's ultimately put to bed. Deep Deep Man wins the ball, lays Michael Owen in towards Ferdinand, and Fabian Bartes is having to race back to goal here. It's Michael Owen. The chance to finish it here. Counter-attack makes it 2-0. I imagine the place comes unglued. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that was just a classic, a classic Liverpool goal at that time, really. Just soaking up the pressure, solid. And then Michael's gonna kill you on the on the break. Not not dissimilar to, to Arsenal, really. And a brilliant finish as well, you know, it's a shame, you know. As you say, you must look back at that goal and think, and a few years later I joined them. <laughs> I mean he is the hero of Liverpool for that for that split. And again, you know, it's a shame. Michael, that he, these great moments he provided are somewhat cast aside, really. But again, a lot of that's to do with the greater moments still to come, mm. you know. Um, it's a bit of a bittersweet season, really, and it, and kind of in context now, we know that's the real high point of the campaign. Liverpool's league form doesn't recover. It recovers better than it certainly had done up until January, but it never gets back to the level that it was at the start of the season. And you kind of said this, if if the start of the season is a continuation from 01-02, then this is the beginning of what continues into 2003, right, yeah. 2004 and the end of Julian. Yeah, unfortunately, it, it doesn't turn around. I mean, there's always the big hope is that another kind of reboot, a little bit of a reboot in the summer. No, you know, no major championships, so the kind of excuse of the post World Cup fatigue's gone, and let's let's see how it goes. And I think from pretty, I think in, in October there was a defeat to Southampton at Anfield. Well called Brett Ormrod scored, and um, I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure the first discussion is led in the boardroom at that night that maybe they need to start putting the putting the look, you know, keeping an eye out, and some of the names. Some weird and wonderful names emerge, you know, as potential Liverpool managers. Gordon Strachan and Gallon Kerbishley was a big um, flavour of the month, but fortunately there were one or two people, you know, and I will mention that the guy sadly sadly departed uh, last year with COVID. Richard Green was a club lawyer at the time, massive. Um, he and the, another agent um, sort of were kind of as go-betweens to Valencia. Uh, Colin Pomford, who was Steve McManaman's agent, and I think once Rafa heard Liverpool might be interested, the rest, as they say, <laughs> you know, and it was sad really for Gerard. You know, it, it, it didn't um, it didn't end particularly well, but he was a great man, and and you know, it, it's it's sort of 
it, it's quite sad that you know it it, it ended it ended quite badly in two thousand two thousand four. But he, he he really was not bitter at all. I mean, I think maybe in the immediate aftermath it was difficult for him, but he didn't hold any grudges at all about Liverpool. And, you know, it was great that, you know, people sort of, I think, felt that... He, I think he felt the love before he, he, he sadly passed away, and that was good, because he did so much for Liverpool. And I do think you do have to re-rook at this period. I certainly do a lot in the context of what had happened to him and what how it may have been different. We, we'll never know, unfortunately, if he hadn't been affected by the illness, if he hadn't, you know gone through what he did, would decisions have been taken different? Would that trajectory have just continued as everyone expected? There was no reason to believe it wouldn't have done. That's why everyone was so desperate for him to come back. And uh, and he got that extra, he won another trophy, you know. And uh, he, he, I think even as we speak now, he's won more trophies than Jürgen Klopp. <laughs> now he didn't win the big one, the big two, but... You know, that is a fact that we, you know, it's great that that's acknowledged and his, his face will always be on that flag, won't it, on the cup, rightly so. And this, and this, this trophy was a, a worthy trophy. You have been listening to Liverpool The League Cup Story, produced by Limitless Productions for Redmen Plus. It stars Paul Machen, James Pearce, Tony Evans, Chris Bascom and John Keith. Editor was Tom Dutton, producer Tom Dutton, sound technicians James Doherty and Evo Prokop. Editing assistants, James Doherty and Matty McLennan. Pre-production, Paul Machen and Tom Dutton. Graphic editor, James Clark. Talent manager, Steve Hoare. Runners, Tom Carr and Evo Prokop. Liverpool, the League Cup story was produced by Limitless Productions for Redmen Plus 2022. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.